0: and welcome to yet another episode of the lines of my donkeys podcast i am joe heavily caffeinated and with me today is nick heavily hungover hell yeah we we are the yin and yang of podcasting uh so you sound like you're in pain nick absolutely <laughs> it's awful and you're in, you're in texas so like all the bars and stuff are open huh yeah i think some are open here I don't know. I was never much of a bar person even before the world ended. And I am fully vaccinated. And uh, I, I, I still don't think I'm interested in going to a bar. You know,
1: I'm more of a bar person than I am a, how do you say, club goer?
0: No, clubs are terrible. Oh, they're club awful. people are awful. So I just stick with it. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like the Clubs are only good if you want to get blackout drunk and you hate everyone around you so you can't Hear what they're saying because the music's too loud. That's
1: so why I go to bars. Yeah. I'm trying to get on that level where I was back in uh, Washington where the bartender just gave us the remote control and it had a beer ready for spot. us.
0: I miss Washington. Uh, mostly because I miss the bref- breakfast burritos from the gas station near my house. Now... Definitely. um I do have to touch on something before we start. Uh, since our last episode that came out, uh, we did a uh, uh, questions from the Legion about like our worst place to poop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my inbox has been flooded with people telling me their poop stories. That's fucking awesome. It is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about reading some of them because how good they are. But I, I was worried about like anonymity. And like maybe someone somewhere is like, I remember that this is, he's 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 the ghost shitter in the urinal or whatever. Um, which was one entrance that I got. Nice. Uh, so like, I'm not gonna read any of them. But man, of all of the things I've been sent, this is probably uh, of all the weird things I've been sent, which it's been a lot. Um, this is probably my favorite. <laughs> it's like, because it's just. Poop's funny to me. I'm still a toddler at heart, even though I'm in my 30s. Like it's it's hilarious. Yeah, it is. I'm jealous. Yeah. I, I will forward you some poop emails. Alright, thank you. <laughs> you know, you know what you know, it isn't hilarious? The Battle of the Hurtgen Forest. I'm not good at transitions. Uh and there's no good way to go from poop to um one of the worst battles in the Western front of World War Two. Okay, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Uh, Nick, you're in the the reenacting circles or were previously, uh, and yep. you kn- you you certainly know a lot of the people who um, fetishize like World War II leaders and and stuff like that. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Where does this battle fall on the uh, the mind palace of the reenactor?
1: Well, I could say from my area, uh, it wasn't too big. It was there, but it was mainly. Obscured by, like, you know, D Day, Market Garden, Bulge, a few other stuff here and there, but other than that, it wasn't heavily talked about or we didn't heavily, uh, uh, it wasn't in our spotlight, I guess you could say, as much as the other battles.
0: It makes sense that the Battle of the Bulge would, um, take it over because, I mean, they do overlap. And, you know, the Battle of the Bulge, the U.S., unquestionably wins, right? There's like the Germans lost, you know, after their initial successes. We're not gonna get into it a lot because that will eventually be a series unto itself. And then, you know, everybody not ugh, fucking 101st can jerk off of our bastone. But um oh yeah. Like Hürtgen is not a victory in any tactical sense. Um the Germans certainly left the forest. So like hooray there there's no triumphant triumphant battle here there's no stand at bastone there's no storming the beaches it's just teenagers being turned into smucker's jelly in a Mm -hmm. snowy forest um meat grinding yeah that's exactly everything that you read about this is like the meat grinder of the hurricane forest and shit like that um And, you know, admittedly, I had to look for something new. Like, a lot of our series is... uh, The series that we've done are based... End up, like, trending... We talk about the Soviet Union a lot um, because, like, obviously, I'm I'm darkly interested in them as my family is from there. Um, But also, like, low-hanging fruit, admittedly. (laughs) Um, Same with the Iran-Iraq War. And then, like, it dawned on me, like, while we have talked about the Western Front of World War II, we have, like, not done a series on it like we've talked about individuals we've talked about um uh fucking leo majors uh we've talked about a few other people but we've never like zoned in on this one giant fucked up donkey nightmare right and i think that's because admittedly i do have some biases we're both americans we grew up watching the history channel it's one of the reasons why we make the show uh so like we are inundated with you know American heroics of World War II. And Pawn Stars. And pawn, now definitely Pawn Stars. How come they're all named after puns about porn? Like you have Hardcore Pawn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God. I don't know if any of those shows are still on anymore, but I know they were the last time I glanced that goddamn nightmare. I don't think uh, I've had TV in I don't know how many years. So I, yeah, I don't have know. cable. I don't have cable. Um, and so like, you know, we get people like, the Eisenhowers and the patents and stuff. And we have talked about Patton before, uh, in regards to the bonus March, or the bonus army March. And I think it's because, you know, talking about like glowing victories is generally not something we do here. Right. Like <laughs> Not, not unless it's like, you know, um, uh, some obscenely lopsided military victory, like the Russo Japanese war. Right. right? So like talking about D-Day, well I'm sure one day we will eventually do it, just isn't high on my list. Um and by the time the United States landed in Europe, uh you know along with the UK and Canada and uh it was kind of just this a slow march towards ultimate victory. There wasn't a lot of huge road bumps or speed bumps rather. Right. Um and that's kind of how we generally think about American World War II. Uh, now, if you do uh, talk about World War II in the West and you talk about donkeys, generally, you know, like Bernard Montgomery will come up, admittedly, rightfully so. Um, but like, you know, you, uh, everybody else generally gets a pass. Like nobody ever talks about Omar Bradley, um, a guy we're going to talk about here named Courtney Hodges. Um, like these guys all get a pass. Um, so we're, we're not going to do that today, Nick. <laughs> no passes. No, no pass. Um, but before we get to the Battle of the Hurricane Forest, we do have to talk a little bit about what the war in Europe looked like by late 1944. Um, and, like, at this point, the, uh, just to start this off, the Hurricane Forest is weird that we don't talk about it so often because it is the longest battle the U.S. Army has ever been involved in to this day. Really? Uh, yes. Um, it went on four months. <laughs> so, like, uh, it's weird that it doesn't get upset. the microscope. Yeah. It's, we're going to focus a lot on the, the, the soldiers' misery of the Hurricane Forest. You're Orlando. one of the
1: most veteran soldiers we have here, uh, Kasabian. I've only been here for three days.
0: Yeah, <laughs> honestly, dead. that's not too far off. Uh, most units would get like churned into hamburger meat within a week. It's just like oh, obscene. <laughs> um, so by late 1944, the Nazis were solidly getting their shit kicked in. The Allies will land in Normandy in June of that year, in case nobody remembered that D Day happens in 1944. One day, I swear to God, we'll do like a a June D Day topic. But again, we suck at that. And by we, I mean me. Um, It'll probably
1: end up in like December.
0: It will end up in December. Like, I'll come out on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Um, which I still haven't, like, gone to the, uh, the Arizona Museum here, which is ridiculous. I can literally see Pearl Harbor from my house.
1: <laughs> just look out your window and go, yep.
0: Turkey still shit. there. Yep. Yeah, I assumed it was bigger. Uh, that's a conversation for a different day. Uh, I, I just don't know how the fuck they put so many battleships in there, Nick. <laughs> I mean, um. Yeah, you're right. I have seen it. It's small as shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would have tacked it, too. Um. Now, this is uh, in 1944 in the West. It's just like a solid march towards a German heartland. In the East, the Germans uh, are, have been in what kind of amounts to like the bloodiest route in human history. Uh, I mean, obviously, they would put up hell of a battle in places like Kursk and a few other places, but you know, they were losing all of those, right? right. Um, it was, their army is being crushed in obscenely large numbers and being chased by the massive Red Army. The Germans were on their last legs in every front of the war. And the only reason they continued fighting is that they were too stupid to realize they were defeated. But, you know, not really. I'm just saying that, you know, like master race and things ended up believing some very stupid stuff. Um, but just because an animal is cornered does not mean they can't fuck you up. Uh, That's it's, where it's I'm like, at the um, most dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like the, the, the last jump scare of a horror film. Like, he's not dead yet. This is the last one. And that's kind of the Battle of the ball really. Um, but, you know, we're talking about something a little to the left. If you're looking at a map anyway, I think it's to the right, but whatever. Um, in the east, the Soviets would have to fight through these various satellite states. They would eventually take over and force into the Soviet Union. Um, and, uh, you know, in the west, they came up against the Western Wall, uh, which was better known as the Siegfried Line. The Siegfried Line began life in the 1930s and it stretched from the western borders of the old German Empire into eventually the Sudetenland, Austria, and a few other places that the Nazis would take over. Um, And it was generally forgotten about for a little bit. Uh, As Germany did a whole lot of other things like anti-Semitism and concentration camp construction. Right. But by 1938, when they started annexing some places, And uh, taking over as others without using the term annexation, Uh, you know, Nazis being Nazis, Nazi stuff happened. But they realized, like, hey, a war might happen. We should probably spend more money on this defensive line to the West. Because remember, at the time, they don't think they're going to fight the Soviets. They will eventually. Uh, But like, because, you know, the the non-aggression pact, even for Hitler, was temporary. He thought them to be subhuman and communism and fascism were bound for combat at some point. But he saw his main enemies being, you know, the Low Countries, France, and, and England. So he knew that he needed to build all these defenses to the west. So he started pouring money, incredibly too late, into the Siegfried Line because <laughs> it's, it's fucking nineteen thirty-eight, man. You had several years to do this, but you know, whatever. I'm not. Nobody's going to argue that Hitler was smart. Um, and if they do, uh, it's us. Um, I feel like work we, long. we know somebody. I would like to think that we don't. Um, uh, it's, it's one of those people like you do not in fact have to hand it to the Nazis <laughs> like uh, I don't know I hate people like that now uh, work along the line began as tens of thousands of bunkers tunnels and probably the most ubiquitous thing that uh, w- would be uh, seen along the line dragon's teeth um, oh yeah those it-
1: bad boys
0: yeah uh if if you're thinking that you've never seen what i'm talking about you probably have assuming you've played any world war ii video game or watch any world war yep. ii movie um there are those little concrete pyramids uh that are meant to be tank traps or at least obstacles um they're they're also to impede infantry uh and sometimes there's landmines in between them it's just a bad day all around when you fuck with dragon's teeth
1: yeah
0: um and they were built in such a way that made them incredibly hard to destroy or remove, which is one of the reasons why, nearly 100 years later, they're still all over the fucking place in Europe. Um, you can see just so many of them. Uh, but by September 1944, that is what the U.S. military was staring at. Enter the Hurtgen Forests, uh, a place I've never been to. Uh, I, I, because when I was in Europe, I, I was more focused on doing dumb things and like getting... Uh the opportunity to like go see all these places you're getting trashed yeah Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh i I was doing soldierly things and gotten trashed i could have yeah i did get to see a few things but like if i ever get the chance to go back i probably will for grad school But i'll be looking at other things significantly more depressing things but like yeah i definitely missed opportunity If, if you were listening to this and you're an american station in europe don't be stupid. Take one of those long weekends. Look around. You're literally surrounded by history. Um, now, enter the Hurricane Forest. The forest is not that big, actually. Like I assumed it was going to be huge, right? Right. Um, because like hundreds of thousands of people would eventually become killed or wounded in this forest. But it's only about 50 square miles. Uh, it, it, yeah. It lines the German-Belgian border and is pretty well known and has a reputation in the area. For being dense with with trees and just incredibly rugged, very few trees or sorry, very few roads, um, because like even the Germans and the Belgians that live in the area, are like no, we're just going to go around. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there there was there was a few trails that people would use um, and like fire breaks and things like that, uh, but other than that, it was uh, also known for like complete tree cover. Like, if you were um, on the forest floor, it would, like, literally blot out the sun. It was so thick. Um, Now, if you're thinking of this as, like, a hiker, that being creepy, it it is. But also, think of this as a military standpoint. You are the United States military at this point. You have absolute air superiority. But congratulations, now you can't use it. Um, Because aerial reconnaissance is pointless. Because you can't see through the forest. Right. Um, So... Yeah, uh, and even on the ground, uh, there's so many trees that just visibility of you standing there was reduced down to a couple of yards. What? I have never seen like I grew up in uh, in areas that's known for being heavily wooded outside of you know my, the city I grew up in in Michigan. I you know we both lived in Washington and went outside a lot. I have never seen forests this thick before. The way it's described, it's no. kind of incredible. And of course, the Germans knew all of this. They even planted more trees to make it even thicker and therefore harder to traverse. Uh, They did this in a lot of places. uh, And also, side note here, they planted a lot of trees uh, that were a different color from the trees around it. So you could see swastikas from the air. Uh, Really? (laughs) Yeah. uh, They're still finding them to this day. What the fuck? Because, like, yeah, they'd bloom in different colors or, or like, you know, uh, and fall, the The leaves would change colors. And this happened in more than just the Hurricane Forest. This happened, I believe, in a couple of forests in Poland. Like, anywhere Nazis went, they, like, had a thing for popping up swastika forests. It's really weird, and you can find pictures of them online. Uh, but, like, it, it's weird that they managed to go for so long without anybody noticing, because, you know, at the time, air travel, kind of rare uh, for civilians, uh, not that many fucking fighter pilots flying over these areas that probably either a we're trying to blow up swastikas or b we're really big fan of swastikas. Um, so nobody knows for a really long time, and they're only visible for a couple weeks out of the year. Oh, okay, <laughs> so a small window, I see. Yeah, and like as they fire, they're like, oh, we gotta go take that whole bunch of pine trees now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, and I, I remember seeing a, a a like a news article from not that long ago. They keep finding them, but. What's important here is only a total dipshit would decide it would take a look at this forest and be like, "Perfect! Like we need to assault through this objective." Yeah, um, like what the fuck? And the Germans knew that as well. He's just going there, going,
1: "Yeah, I can see for feet. I like it."
0: Yeah, I, I can see at barely past the end of my rifle. I like my chances. Um, and the and the Germans do this because you know it's theirs, but they. Also remember the Maginot Line and how they defeated it. There was a gap in it, right? Amongst other things, but that's, you know, famously, the French simply did not build through forests that they think that they thought that people would not dare to cross, right? So the Germans did not do that. Uh, They decided that they would make the forest even harder to traverse by defending it. Uh, They laced the forest with machine gun nests, bunkers, and trenches, all of them positioned in such a way that they could support one another with intersecting fields of fire. Um and they like trimmed the trees just enough so the positions could see one another and they could see any approaching individuals, but they could not be seen. And this is late in the war, remember, like the by by this point, like they have built the Sigfried line, uh the uh Western allies have invaded, and now they're like, Oh shit, we have to start reinforcing the hurricane forest, right? They're probably gonna come right up right up into the forest. So like concrete's kind of hard to come by, and good concrete is hard to come by. So, like, they did have some concrete bunkers, but they also built bunkers out of logs and reinforced them with dirt, which sounds weird, but like, that's just as strong as concrete uh, when you reinforce you know, big, thick fur or whatever kind of trees those are with mounds of dirt. Uh, It makes it as good or if not better than reinforced concrete, but it also had the added bonus of being camouflaged because it's built out of the woods. Yes. <laughs> and they also planted a ton of landmines. An absolute fuckload. Um, and some, they like laced them be- between the trees. And others, they uh, planted so many on the one or two trails that were available towards uh, or in individual areas that like, they could find a mine every eight paces for three miles. Oh, <laughs> That's so many fucking
1: landmines. <laughs> Why did they put this much effort into the actual war?
0: <laughs> yeah, at this point, I feel like they, they just, it's one of those are like, yeah, we know we lost, but we're going to fuck up as many of y'all as possible on the way down. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, Wal- a guy named Walter Model was in charge of defending the forest. And he was, um, you know, as far as Nazi commanders go, he was okay um but he he was also not easily uh like tricked and didn't think that you know, pulling away from the forest would be worth it he he knew that a small number of people stashed in this forest could fuck up an incredibly large number of people oh yeah um so like it's efficiency you know common german efficiency um and to be fair, though, to their credit, they didn't think anybody would be dumb enough to attack though. They're like, yeah, <laughs> us being here will make them go around and then maybe we can fuck them up in the flanks um, or, you know, maybe they'll have to contain the entire force and bomb it flat. Either way, we're going to be a thorn in their sides, but nobody's actually going to attack through here. Yeah, who would do that? Uh, enter the guy that would be <laughs> just the dipshit that the Germans planned for, General Courtney Hodges. Now, a small side note here. Reading this guy's history, he sounds pretty fucking rad all the way up until World War II. Oh, so he Um, sounds like a pretty good guy. He is the definition of you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself Uh, become the villain. And by that, I mean a general officer. I see. Yeah. Now, he he got into West Point, um, and he was not from a very rich family got into West Point anyway, and then immediately failed out because he was bad at math. Um, which I love. Understandable. I totally identify it. If for some reason I got into West Point, I would also fail out because I'm bad at math. No doubt. Um, but that did not stop him from joining the military. He enlisted as a private in 1905 um, after working at a local grocery store and deciding it fucking sucked. I think we've all probably been there at some point. Whether I've never worked at a grocery store in my life. Well, like sub out the grocery store. Like, I had a shitty job at McDonald's and, like, GameStop for a while making minimum wage. And I'm like, man, fuck this. I'm gonna go die in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I did landscaping, so that wasn't too bad. Oh, man. I would fucking hate to do landscaping. And then, like, jokes on me. You join the military and you do landscaping. <laughs> <laughs> um... And he turned out he was very good at soldiering, because after only three years, he got promoted to second lieutenant anyway. Oh, wow. That's good fast-tracking. Yeah, Yeah, back when, like, you know, you could make that jump. And what's even funnier is he got promoted to second lieutenant only, like, three or four months after he would have graduated West Point.
1: (laughs) So you didn't need that big, fancy school.
0: No, I don't need that goddamn schooling. It turns out, maybe he did. (laughs) I'm not saying West Point makes good officers, but it probably would have made a better one than him. Mm. Um, now, after this, he got involved in pretty much every war that America found itself in. This included World War I, where he temporarily got blinded from a poison gas attack. Oh. Um, he was awarded a Purple Heart because, you know, he was blinded. Uh, it came back. But, you know, at the time, they didn't know it would. Like, sometimes it just didn't. Uh, some people were permanently blinded by, uh, I believe it was Faj Jean that did that. I don't remember. Um, But when he got his purple heart And his eyesight came back He threw in the trash Because he thought he didn't deserve it What the fuck (laughs) He also got wounded like two or three other times too Look it healed back up I don't need this Yeah I can see bitch Um, After the war uh, He was made a lieutenant colonel And he was posted as an instructor At West Point
1: The school that he (laughs) failed out of About ten
0: years before So like all of this is incredible right Like this guy is the ultimate like Spite driven person that fails out of school that ends up like, for instance, the reason why this speaks to me is I did not get into the University of Michigan when I first attempted to, right? My high school grades weren't great because uh, I was a dumbass. Um, however, fast forward, I go to a different college, get a degree, become an author, and my book is now part of the curriculum at the University of Michigan in, Ar- in Ar- Ann Arbor, a school I could not get into. So, like, I have nice. I like At this point, I'm like, you fucking go, Courtney. Fuck those people,
1: right? It would be great. Um, All right, Hodges, you're going to be instructing the math portion of what, at the West Point.
0: <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids, I'm going to teach you how to count with your fingers. Um. So by World War II, he was a general. But by now, that that, that gleam of light in his eye uh, that we both love so much was gone. He chain-smoked and drank constantly. Uh, And he was almost certainly suffering some very untreated PTSD. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Uh, He was known for not showing really any emotion uh, to anybody at all, uh, except if uh, he went and visited his soldiers in the hospital uh, after they got wounded, he would uh, burst into tears almost every time. Uh, He also personally wrote letters home to soldiers that were killed under his command. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, like, he was... He was unwell, uh, and since you know this is the the forties where mental health is, I don't know, getting beaten. I guess <laughs> uh, he he just like drank his pain away, um, which is something you know, a lot of people talk about, and we'll do an episode about this eventually. They're like, oh, you know, the hero, the, the greatest generation, did deal with PTSD. I'm like, yes, they did. You just didn't talk about it. Like, it's the same reason why everybody knows, like Audie Murphy for his heroics in World War II, and not the fact he was a violent alcoholic for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know? Um, but yeah, like, Hodges is definitely dealing with some shit. Um, one division commander called him unexcitable, a killer, and a gentleman, hmm. which sounds like he might be crazy. Uh- <laughs> uh, he was also known for, like, flying off the, the handle at a drop of a hat and then immediately apologizing for it. So, like, here's some anger issues. Um, Now, before the war, uh, you know, General Omar Bradley was actually his subordinate. Uh, But during the war, Bradley was put in charge of him. Uh, Some people have said that's because uh, Bradley and Eisenhower were tight. (laughs) Whatever. Um, Either way, Bradley ended up in charge of him, but still deeply respected him to the point that he still called Hodges, sir. Um, Yeah. So uh, Bradley was in charge of the, uh, the 12th Army group, and Hodges was in command of the 1st Army under him. Right. And uh, yeah, like people noted that like um, Bradley was differential towards anything that Hodges said. Like if Hodges had a plan that was very obviously bad that other people didn't agree with, Bradley wouldn't tell him no, things like that. Uh, which makes a whole lot more sense of why something so stupid is about to happen. Uh, he, he was an out-of-date general. Uh, By 1944, all of the badassery that made Hodges' career was gone. Historian Rick Atkinson notes that while Hodges was perfectly fine as a commander for the drive towards Germany, the months had worn on him. He was sick, though nobody was quite sure from what. Uh, He didn't sleep. Uh, He paced and spoke to himself. And he was constantly drinking and smoking. Um, All of those sound like coping mechanisms for untreated PTSD to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) i know i've seen me do all of those while not invading (laughs) germany um now he also failed to learn the lessons from the war that he was fighting in remember he was a world war one guy uh he it's where he made his whole career mostly and he was still 100% stuck with World War I brain. Oh, Whereas man. one War Department observer said, quote, an old man playing the game by the rules of the book. And a little confused as what all that was about. Uh, by this point, the First Army Command was in Spa, Belgium, which is kind of a funny name because it was also known for having a very nice hotel. Ooh, people nice. call it like the Spa Spa. Um and that was the hotel that Hodges would do his best to never leave under any circumstances. I mean, can you blame him? No, but this brings into another problem. He was a terrible micromanager. Now, uh, we've talked about terrible micromanagers before, like my good friend Napoleon, who was a historically bad micromanager. Remember, all the way down to soldiers' buttons on their jackets? Yeah. Um. And, like he At one point, he also like toured his armies and nearly got murdered by a Russian patrol. Um, and as weird as that was for him, it almost wasn't a detriment. There's a hundred other detriments going on in that campaign that doesn't really, you know, rate. Um, but for Hodges, he micromanaged from a hotel room. So, unlike Napoleon, who was completely obsessed with logistics, remember, like his commissariat wagon train and shit, oh, yeah, that failed, but like he was. So he was obsessed with it, and it failed. Like, he was obsessed with the paper aspect of it, and obviously, when you're commanding half a million people, you can't really deal with the ins and outs. Hodges just didn't care. I mean, at least he Um, understood that logistics were important. Yeah, yeah, he understood it was important, but then he tried to do it all himself. Uh, While Hodges just did not give a shit. Like, that special kind of idiot who doesn't quite understand something and makes no attempt at learning it which is like the worst kind, especially when it has to do with like, your job. Right. Uh, one of his commanders said that he was, quote, the least disposed to make any attempt to understand logistical problems. <sighs> <laughs> which, not good. And so while uh, the officers in the hotel had hot meals and daily supplies of various kinds of booze, like I actually find like, a list of their daily rations of booze, which was a lot. Really? It was a fucking lot. Yeah, it was like bottles a day. Um, so, like, I think what happened is, and so it seemed like some people were saying, is if he didn't see problems, he assumed they didn't exist. So, like, well, we all have hot food and booze. I assume everybody up front's taken care of too. Like, I'm not cold. This fucking fire is warm and nice and great, and I have a comfortable bed. Everybody should have this. Yeah, ever. No, it's not that everybody should have this, it's that everybody obviously does. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, he just looked around and assumed it was fine. Uh, but when in reality, American supply lines had been stretched badly due to the rapid advance west, leaving most of his soldiers without cold weather gear, uh, which I don't know if you've ever been to Germany in September. Absolutely not. Um, you need to start getting some cold weather gear. <laughs> mm. No, no, no it's more not of that. Warm. Why are you wearing that? Yeah. Um, now. Normally, when you make battle plans as an army commander, you focus on the macro ideas because you have core and division commanders that carry out whatever your intent is, right? Like, if you're a fire team leader or you're a squad leader, you're not going to dictate what every single fire team does. You're going to tell your subordinate commanders what you plan on doing, um, and then they will come up with the best way to solve that. That's how that's supposed to work. Right. And as a person that's in, in command of tens of thousands of soldiers, like, he obviously has to pass those orders down. He can't do all that himself. But instead, he tried to do just that, going all the way down to a platoon level. Really? An army commander, try, like, cozying up to a platoon sergeant, like, alright, listen up, man, this is what you're gonna do. It's like, uh, uh, sir, I think we got this, man. Like, fuck so that. So the as you can imagine, this led to an incredibly slow, overcomplicated command structure that just absolutely could not work. Like, a general is not going to command an army down to a platoon. It's fucking impossible. And if you're wondering why the corps and division commanders didn't uh, point this out to their army commander, like, hey, man, like, let us do our jobs, they did. Um, he just didn't care. Uh, And if you rose the problem further, like, no, man, like I am in charge of this, that or the other thing. You just get fired like on the spot without like any warning or replacement. Just gone. That sounds
1: awful. What?
0: It's it's, it's a little bit of Luigi Cadorna, right? Like Cadorna either executes or fires everyone who he doesn't like. Um. And of the 13 corps or division commanders relieved in the entire 12th army group during the entirety of the Western theater of war, 10 were fired by Hodges. Holy fuck. Which is incredible. <laughs> One time he fired a guy because he learned his son, the, the, the other officer's son, had been killed in combat. And that officer's like, hey, man, I just need a couple days off. Like... To gather myself. That makes Uh, sense. You know, my kid just got fucking killed. Immediately got fired. What? (laughs) Yeah. He got fired for asking time off to grieve. Wow. Here, you can go take all the time you want now. You you need some fucking time off? I'll give you time off, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and it's the military, so you can't even do the "I You can't fire me. I quit. Situation. (laughs) Um, and this is even worse so like you know obviously you're billeted to like a tent or a hotel or whatever based on your rank your the status as a division commander or whatever right so once you got fired like normally you assume you have time to pack up your shit instead Hodges would make you wait outside send his like enlisted staff to go throw all your shit in bags and then like dump it on the side of the road and then you just have to stand there and wait for a ride like a bad breakup Yeah, it kind of is. Now, here's the thing. Jokes aside, which are funny. uh, Having such an overbearing, micromanaging dickhead in charge, uh, bad plans were sure to happen, which brings us to the battle in the first place. And here's one of the weirdest things. In every battle that we've talked about, um, no matter how stupid they are, right? we at least know why it happened. Uh, what, the, what their goals were. No matter if they were just unrealistic or stupid, they had goals. Right. To this day, we are recording this in 2021. This happened in 1944. Nobody is entirely sure why the Battle of the Hurtgen Forest actually occurred.
1: Oh, so no significant value is what you're saying?
0: Absolutely none. And oh, there has been a marathon's worth of fucking footwork to do historical revisionism to make this look like it makes sense because a whole bunch of like white dudes in their early fifties who watched way too much history channel at the time who consider themselves armchair generals of the greatest generation cannot accept that we just fucked up. Uh, So they're doing everything they can. And to to their credit, Bradley uh, and Hodges did the same thing. Uh, everybody in the in the aftermath of this battle, which we will talk about for well over an hour, um, had did everything they can, they could, and, and even later on and later in their life and after the war, to try to like reanalyze this and come up with different goals years after they happened, or in some cases months after they happened, because they realized, I look really bad.
1: See, the, <laughs> the Germans were there, and uh, yep.
0: That's, That's so, about it. That's all I got is that Germans were there. We have to go fight the Germans. Uh, But it it actually gets dumber than that because there's a lot of places Germans were stationed that we did not attack. We simply maneuvered around because it's a war of movement, whatever.
1: Um, Maybe they just wanted a fucking forest battle. I don't know.
0: (laughs) We haven't fought around trees in a while. Yeah. You know, we haven't been
1: slaughtered in a while. (laughs)
0: Courtney Hodge is just an arborist. He's like, ah, yes, finally, something I'm good at. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to address all of these things right up front, because we will touch on them later when we actually get to the episode about the battle. I'm not going to spend as much time on them. But let's talk about, uh, put on your revisionist glasses sponsored by PragerU and figure out why the, this battle happened. So, the entire U.S. push, this is one excuse. Into the forest was to secure the Ruhr Dam. Uh, There is a lot of dams in the area, and this actually makes sense. The dam could very well be a possible threat to any U.S. advance in the area if the Germans would have opened the gates and sent thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of water into the countryside and made huge sections of the Siegfried Line impassable. That did not happen, but there's also a few problems with this. Mm. One is the Germans could have done this already. They could have just done this when they realized that Americans were coming into the forest. Right. They didn't. So it's reasonable to think they probably were not going to do that. And if they would uh, do that anyway, you're not in the forest. It doesn't really matter. Maybe they just um, didn't have the keys. They didn't. Fuck, we lost the keys to the dam. Um, or they washed them. I've done that before. They have one of those new keys that's actually keyless. And if it gets wet, it doesn't work. What? Yeah. Yeah, like I have a Prius that doesn't actually have a key.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: the Germans had that, but for a dam. This oh, this nasty one. dam was built by Toyota, obviously. Um, I don't like to uh, try to negotiate battles and how they happen due to like things that could have or should have happened. So I don't want to like push that first one too hard. Uh, but the second, the battle would not kick off until September. However. It was not until December that same year that the dam was made an official strategic target of the offensive. Mm. The original plan instead was to cross the Roo river and capture the city of Durin. Now, the idea, of course, was to capture every decent sized city along the way so the U.S. could you know, bypass some if they weren't worth the time. And Durin would feasibly be seen as one of these uh, that was largely unimportant. Especially because Cologne and Aachen were either captured or in the process of being captured and were a much more useful city, strategically valuable, and not in the other side of a fucking death forest. Um, The other idea was that if they just left the forest alone, its garrison could pose a threat to the flanks of anybody who tried to bypass it. However to do that, the Germans inside the forest would have to leave the forest and attack, despite the fact that they were specifically put in the forest in their size because a small formation could hold the forest. Right. So it's not a very threatening force that's in there. It's significantly smaller than everything around it. When the Americans started attacking, they would be outnumbered by tens of thousands. What? Yeah. So, like, the idea that this, like, smaller force which is specifically put in place to hold these defenses would suddenly attempt to break out is kind of stupid right uh, um, uh, and it probably wouldn't have happened and, and also it could be very easily contained because the thing is when a much smaller force leaves its defensive structures they're much easier to defeat right the yeah. only, the they're only the reason for- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not dug in into the death forest <laughs> <laughs> they would have been badly outnumbered in every direction. The simplest answer that I can come up with is by punching straight through the forest the shortest route to the Ruhr Valley, which brings us directly back into the bad habits of our commander, Courtney Hodges. Uh. Why not just skirt the edges, flank around it, maneuver? Like, it's it's 1944, the era of, I don't know, Assaulting an enemy simply because they're there makes no fucking sense.
1: It's the year of uh, Home by
0: Christmas. A-, a couple Christmases ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, because Courtney Hodges, for the lack of a better term, thought flanking was for pussies. <laughs> I, so... He complained in his war diary uh, that was released after he died. Quote, too many of these battalions and regiments of ours have tried to flank and skirt their way around and never meet the enemy straight on. He believed it, quote, safer, sounder, and in the end quicker to keep smashing ahead. Like I said, World War I brain. Oh, fuck my men. Yeah. I'll cry every single time one of you dies, but goddammit, I'm going to kill every single one of you. <laughs> yeah. I like a good cry. <laughs> it's good for the soul. So, like, that's, that's what it comes down to. He was. Sir, the spa water's cold. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm going to go have a cry. Like, that, and if you read about it, it seems like people are more open now that, like, no, we just fucked up. But, like, Omar Bradley, Eisenhower, and certainly Hodges rapidly attempted to change their story as the battle started to go to shit and then afterwards when everybody realized how horrible the battle was um so just who like that, this assault? who who did that that would be omar bradley yep this fucking guy <laughs> uh, other commanders would come in uh over time as more uh units were flexed into the battle as entire uh battalions vanished uh but Fuck, could you imagine the whole battalion just. Uh, it, 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 we go into it more in the second episode, but it's a fucking nightmare. Um, very rarely do you hear of battles like this that did not take place during World War I. Um, so, like, a lot of people Ooh. who, especially, especially World War II nerds, are going to be like, well, there's other generals that were involved. Yes, you're right. There's a lot of them. It's a shit ton. I'm, I'm focusing on two of them because they're ultimately the ones in charge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, And unlike a lot of stuff we talked about, we are going to talk about individual units um, because a lot of their first-hand accounts and actual memos exist, and I was able to read them. I know 442 is there. Is that one of the units that you uh, reenacted in? Uh, No. Is that the unit that you're in? No. (laughs) (laughs) 442.
1: Fucking go for broke. I'm surprised you don't know about them. I got nothing, man. It was the all uh, uh, Japanese Americans.
0: Oh shit! Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were they were tasked to go save a battalion.
0: <laughs> oh, I wonder how that went. Now, uh, <laughs> um, so on September 14th, the first test of the forest would begin, and despite everything I just said, goes shockingly well. Really? Um the 9th infantry division, which had been fighting almost nonstop since D Day and was operating at only about forty percent strength, would be the first fed into the woods. The men were told to expect constant heavy fighting as soon as they stepped off, and instead found virtually none. That's not something I want to hear. No. Yeah. Don't worry, man. It's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. oh, You're gonna step cool. into a
1: slaughter field.
0: Now they calmly and, like it was almost like a walk through the woods, advanced six miles, oh, which wow. did take a couple of days due to the horrible terrain. Um, American soldiers found uh to become used to armor and air support, a very, very close and constant armor and air support found themselves completely on their own, as even the Shermans found going into the woods way too hard um so did they just, where
1: where where did the tanks go? Did they just chill?
0: So some tank units held back, while others were like, "Okay, we'll uh, infantry will move ahead. We're gonna have engineers take down these trees one by one to create a trail." Oh God! So it's super. It's slow going for infantry. It's barely moving at all for armor.
1: I think you as a tanker, they'd be like, "You know what? Hey, you go ahead and step out there and go be
0: dismounted. With my luck, yes <laughs> um, and the at the time uh, i I have seen some people like why don 't they just run the te- why don 't they just run the trees over they just couldn 't there's too many of them, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Remember, um, they could only see for feet
0: yeah, during all of this, expecting heavy fighting, soldiers were on edge but saw nothing. They had not seen a single German for two days and found themselves right outside the village of Zweifall. Uh, so close that they could hear uh, like air raid sirens going off inside the town. Oh wow! Uh, so by the third day, they're overlooking the town of Scheibenhut, who I am sure I am pronouncing terribly wrong. Um, despite the fact uh, they didn't know that there was Americans in the woods, and the war was raging all around them, uh, only you know a few hours down the road. If without the Americans in the woods, life in the town looked completely normal. People were just going about their daily lives out a care in the world. Because I bet um, they know those
1: forces. So they're like, hey, nobody would fucking attack that.
0: Who's dumb <laughs> enough to come in here? Yeah. One American named Lieutenant uh, Jordan was standing around waiting to see what would happen or like what he should do next when a German officer all alone and looking uh, down at a map ran right into a formation <laughs> of American soldiers. <laughs> The German who ended up being a colonel was a surprise to the Americans and simply surrendered. He's like, goddamn uh, uh, it. Uh, oh, what the fuck are you guys doing here? <laughs> or you he could have been uh, like, thank god, take me. <laughs> take me out of these goddamn woods. A few seconds later, a German on a motorcycle, who they assumed was probably like the courier for that colonel, ran into a different group of Americans. And this time they opened fire and killed the German. <laughs> Uh, And, like, the the first uh, Americans who captured the colonel noted that they simply robbed him and then sent him back. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they took his map, all of his intel, but also, like, his cigarettes watch and shit. And it's like, (laughs) all right, back to the line with you. Give us your underwear. (laughs) That has to be the worst. Like, oh, man, i would be be taking POW, but at least I'm not going to die, right? And, you know, when you get taken POW, almost certainly these soldiers are going to steal everything from you. because. That is what... It's a war crime. Yes, it's looting, but everybody does it. Um, But instead, they just, like, loot you and then, like, kick you back towards the line so you could die later, but now you also don't have your stuff. (laughs) Now you don't know what
1: time it is when you die.
0: (laughs) That's my dad's watch. Weird, it's mine now. Yeah, thanks.
1: Yeah. It's probably by that one private that has, like, ten watches.
0: Yeah, like, in every every war movie, there's one private with, like, 18 different German dog tags and... 40 fucking watches up his arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a scum. Hey, they heck? came from Nazis. It's fine. They don't, you don't need to, de- look, Nazis don't need to tell time where they're going. All right. It's true. So after this, the Americans decided they'd need to take the town. And rather than dramatize this in my own words, I will quote a guy named Sergeant Myers, who in a dispatch wrote his experience as the first, per- when the first people into the town. Is it wrote, a super enlisted type? Like, I will say yes. Sweet. Uh, "Quote: We did a left face and raced down the hill to the village. Our speed was the product of the steep hill rather than combat zeal. As we ran through the backyards, I n- looked for the handiest back door. The one I opened led to a small commercial ki- kitchen and then directly into the tap room of a small hotel. The only inhabitant was a dignified old man with a large mustache who was wearing a frocked coat." and shirt with a winged collar. I motion for him to go behind the bar and draw a beer for the three of us as we <laughs> enter the room. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Sir, are we, like, Sergeant, are we assaulting the villager getting a beer? Let's do both. Yeah. are <laughs> <If that,
1: laughs> like absolute... The one fucking, like, uh, IPA guy or the fucking sour. Hey, you got, like, a, a nice stout back there? What do you What do you <laughs> got?
0: Sergeant turns around and shoots him in the stomach. (laughs) Uh, Just like absolute priorities. Like, that's like men who have been involved in so much combat, they literally don't register it anymore. Like, ooh, beer. It's like
1: Homer Simpson.
0: Yeah, like, it's that Homer Simpson saying, like, beer, the cause of and solution to all of the problems in the world. Uh, So, if that sounds dumb, it actually gets dumber. The town was taken without a fight. The only uh, shots that were fired were fired on accident. (laughs) (laughs) I assume because they were drunk. Obviously. Uh, and like and th- it's because the Germans had no idea what was going on. At one point, a truck loaded with four Germans into it loaded into it, pulled into the town, waving at the Americans, thinking that they were Germans. The Americans then waved back until someone realized, wait a minute, those guys are Nazis. <laughs> it's because they're, sh- <laughs> <'cause> they're drunk. It's because they're drunk. And then they shot at them, missed. And then the Germans turned around and drove out of the village. <laughs> Holy fuck. And that wasn't the only time that happened over the next three fucking days. Random groups of German soldiers would just wander into the town and then be grabbed by Americans, robbed and then uh, <laughs> kicked out of the town back towards their lives.
1: <laughs> now bring some more of your friends.
0: I think it's because that, like, they were planning—you know—continued to assault, so they didn't want to be burned with too many prisoners. And unlike D-Day, they didn't just shoot them, right? <laughs> so, like, congrats on the progress, I guess. Yeah, they just look. Down to I fucking lost for looting. SUPA. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, you you get plus three for not executing POWs, minus two for looting. You're still up one. <laughs> yeah. Um and then because the Germans so the, the reason why the Germans had no idea things were about to go sideways is because they didn't even bother to blow up the radio equipment before the town was taken and that town happened to be a communication hub so like what yeah the people that would have been telling the Germans that the Americans were coming would have been stationed in that town where the fuck were they uh, they got captured uh, like they just didn't know they were coming it was a huge fuck up with German intelligence all right um this gave the Americans an endless supply of German radio communications to listen to, which was made easier by the fact that one of the sergeants spoke German and was sitting in there listening to it. Oh, nice. At this point, the Germans knew some shit was going down and finally ordered all their forces to assemble and you know, to their normal defensive points, which the Americans actually did figure out where they were because while listening to the radio, they could hear them give out coordinates and stuff.
1: Nice. That's solid. Yeah.
0: They use the locations of those points, helpfully given to them over the radio, to call it artillery. (sighs) Now, thanks for doing the (laughs) legwork. This is really an alley-oop, but also an own goal at the same time. Now, um, this is about the only slam-dunk victory that the Americans would get during this entire battle. It sounds like a good one. And it would get much much worse from here. And they that is where beer. we will pick up next week. Yeah, they probably did run out of beer. Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's weird because, like, you'd think that the artillery on target would be like, ha ha, battle's over. Not quite.
1: <laughs> I imagine the bunkers probably helped them out.
0: Yeah. All the uh, trench
1: positions.
0: It turns out the bunkers were very, very good at uh, at absorbing pretty much everything. Uh, but that is where we'll pick up next week. Nick, how are you feeling about Hurricane Forest? So far, so good. So, so far, I, I didn't have to get any combat. I got a beer. Yeah, Pretty rad. Yeah. That sounds pretty good.
1: <clears throat> that I, E5 th- is on the level of myself. I'm sorry, it's not E5 back then. It was like tech 20 or some shit.
0: I thought the techs were like a separate rank structure. Like this Special or no, I don't, I don't fucking know, like tech sergeant, shit like that. Like, like just bring back uh, spec ranks for specialists so you'd be like a spec 25 and not actually have to go to oh, the promotion dude. board. <laughs> <laughs> My career would have gotten so much better if that was the case.
1: I mean, could you imagine yourself as like a fucking spec seven?
0: As long as you pay me, I don't give a fuck what you call me. How high did it go? Spec six? I had think so Uh, this is how we'll close out the episode i was looking up old specialist rings i'm
1: actually okay with that because those are fucking cool to me i think i had an old uniform that had some cool fucking rank on it it was some old world war ii rank uh
0: let's see so it went private private first class technician fifth grade corporal technician fourth grade sergeant technician third grade uh, staff sergeant okay, there we go technical sergeant first sergeant master sergeant um i i guess i don't know <sighs> so this is the fine people of wikipedia say now uh nick thank you for joining me everybody else thank you for joining us in this wonderful snowy nightmare um Uh, And I don't know how to end this one except uh, until next time, invade German villages and take beer. (laughs)